Welcome to Corpus Christi Anglican Church. I'm Morgan, our planting clergy. Our vision of this church is to become a common people in common prayer for uncommon transformation. This podcast is where you will hear our sermons and other teachings that have happened at Corpus Christi. We primarily serve the region of Springfield, Franconia, and Kingstown. We're glad that you're here. Thanks for taking time to listen. Here's the message. Well, good evening, everybody. Good evening. I am Father Morgan Reed, and I'm the vicar here at Corpus Christi Anglican Church. And what a joy to celebrate the Lord's resurrection with you. There is... I was talking to somebody about there is a levity to tonight um, that matches the somberness of, of last night, and both were beautiful. And, uh, and so it is a joy to celebrate the Lord's resurrection with you, to move from the emptiness of a dark tomb with just a little light to the joy of the resurrection. Let me pray for us uh, as we enter into God's word together. Well, Lord, we, we do thank you for so many reminders this week. Of, of the cries of Hosanna at the beginning of the week, to Jesus' example of washing his disciples' feet, to Jesus' arrest and betrayal, ultimately to his crucifixion, that he would die for us. It was from your love for us that he died for us and for the sins of the world. Would you give us grace to live into the joy of his resurrection as we move tonight from the darkness of the tomb? to the light of the resurrection with Jesus. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. I think Father Mike said on Thursday, you don't have to preach too much. The liturgy kind of does it for you. And uh, tonight is certainly one of those nights. But as we do celebrate the Lord's resurrection tonight from the gospel passage, I think there is both a hope for us in Jesus' resurrection and, and I find in that passage also a commission for us in G- Jesus' resurrection. A hope and a commission. First, let's look at our hope. It's really important when we think about how we're connected to other things in relationship. I was thinking back to a couple of years ago. I had the joy of traveling to a friend of ours who lives in Oxford, England. And as we were walking on the street, she pointed out to us as we were walking along, there was a cross in the middle of the road that was made out of bricks. And she had mentioned that, oh, really near here is where Thomas Cranmer and his friends Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley were martyred uh, for the faith. They were burned at the stake. Those were some of the, the early Anglican reformers in our church. And immediately when I saw that spot, I felt this deep connection to that spot because it connected a man's death that happened in that space to the prayers that I pray each day. And and so what I realized in that moment is that I was part of his spiritual heritage. Like the thing that he died for, I got to be a part of by God's grace. And whether we think about the spiritual heritage we come from, or we could even think about family, uh, you know, as we go back one generation, two, three, four generations, we could talk about heritage in multiple types of ways. But you and I have a spiritual heritage and we have a familial heritage. Sometimes they, uh, they go together. Sometimes we wish they didn't. Uh, but our heritage grounds us uh, in a sense of who we are. It shapes us and forms us. But again, not every, not every connection to our heritage is encouraging. In fact, 
if you were to look back at some of your generations before you, there are probably some you would like to forget, ignore that they happened, or keep secret. Uh, and and those, those can be formative too. Uh, those could be places of initial discouragement, places of embarrassment, places of shame. The stories that we heard from Scripture tonight, um, first of all, you kids did a great job listening to some really long passages of Scripture. So really great work. And when we hear those stories from the Old Testament, we're reminded that God's grace is available to us in our broken heritage. Humanity had been created to bear God's image. We heard that in Genesis 1. We were created to enjoy dependence on the creator to enjoy what he created to find our deepest joy and love and satisfaction in relationship with God as we properly learn how to enjoy what he's created for us but like Adam all of us have gone astray and we've tried to do things the way that we want to we've we heard that in Genesis chapter 3 where where the ways that humanity had fallen short of the glory of God they were declaring to God I want to do things my own way. I want to do them myself. Not just like a toddler who's learning independence, but like, you know, I, I want to do things apart from you, God. And while at the same time they were declaring that, they felt deep shame and sorrow, right? Because we heard about the ways that they were hiding in the garden. Then we heard about the Israelites who had been enslaved to Pharaoh. And we heard the salvation story of God taking them out of, the, out of Israel through the Red Sea. They had been captive. They'd been unable to worship the Lord, to be formed in worship as a community of faith under the God of uh, the universe as their king. And then we heard about the grace of God to deliver them away from the king of Egypt. And what we didn't have time to read, if we were to do all the readings uh, that are available to us, I think there are nine readings. uh, and, And so we've cut that down to four tonight. Kids, you're welcome. Um, And adults. Um, But what we didn't have time to get into in this history of salvation was what happened in the wilderness when the people were complaining. And they were saying, you know, can't we just go back to being slaves again? We didn't have time to read about all the ways they created gods after their own image, that they worshipped the creature rather than the creator. Again, it was a shameful slap in the face to God over and over and over again, telling God, I want to do this myself. I want to do it my way. I know best. And that's a familiar trope. It's a familiar story because that's our heritage as human beings. That is what we do over and over again. We come from a long line of humanity that says, God, I know better how to do this. I want to do it myself. And so we experience the resulting brokenness that comes from that over and over again. We experience the shame of our human family heritage over and over again. Israel had become so far gone, and we didn't get to this, but God had to send them into exile in order to purify and bring back a remnant who would rightly worship him and live into his commandments. And that's where we hear the final reading that uh, Father Ryan read from Zephaniah, where God gave them hope that he was going to bring them back from exile. God was going to bring back a remnant. He had given his people the means by which to receive forgiveness 
through the sacrifices in the Old Testament for all the ways that they had dishonored him. But those sacrifices weren't an end in, in and of themselves. Those sacrifices pointed to something, or rather to somebody who could cover their sins, and not just cover their sins, but to make them completely new, to receive forgiveness. So hope is building, and you felt that as we read these different passages. Hope is building in the person of God's chosen Messiah. And so when we read the story then, we get to the New Testament, and we read the story from the gospel tonight about two women who show up at the tomb, and we hear about an earthquake, we hear about an angel, we hear about guards who are in shock, um, at, in an appearance of Jesus with a commission for these women. There was an excitement about what Jesus was going to do. He talked so much about bringing in God's kingdom in the past over the last three years. And everybody was waiting to see what that would look like. And so this was going to tie up everything so nicely. This is what history was pointing towards. They thought he was going to bring in God's earthly kingdom, right? But that's not what happened. And the problem with humanity's brokenness is that it went far deeper than just one nation's right to govern themselves uh, and observe a right religious system. That wouldn't have taken care of the universal problem of all humanity. And so it couldn't be an earthly kingdom that Jesus had to bring. The problem cuts to the core of all of humanity's desire to say, God, I'm going to do this my way, so get out of the way over and over again. And then to take what God made to be good and to elevate ourselves over it. And so when all nations break fellowship with God, it's not the sacrifices of one nation that's going to fix the problem. It, it takes God himself becoming his creation in order to restore it. It's the beauty of the incarnation. And so the story in Matthew's gospel isn't just about people who are seeing Jesus. It's more than that. That's not the end of the story. The women became the apostles to the apostles. They were commissioned with this call to bring the good news that Jesus has risen again. And that's made all the difference. Jesus has risen again. Jesus has risen from the dead. Jesus himself said this. He said, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies... Sorry, I lost my place. Unless it falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But, he says, if it dies, it will bear much fruit. That's from John 12, 24. And so his, his, sal- his resurrection was a salvation that was more glorious than anyone could have anticipated. Because the depths of our sin reached far deeper than anyone could have ever imagined. Right? The resurrection of Jesus was a salvation that was more glorious than anybody could have anticipated. Because the depths of our sin reached far deeper than anyone could have ever imagined. And we need healing and hope and life. One ancient writer made this connection between Jesus uh, and the seed that Jesus talks about that had to die. And he connects it with the 
the, the grains of wheat that were used to make the bread of the Eucharist. And he says, likewise, our Lord placed his body on the table of the holy altar and the people eat him who hunger for him and are strengthened to tread upon death. Each week is a resurrection meal. It reminds me of John Donne's famous poem, Death Be Not Proud, which ends with the really encouraging line, and death shall be no more. Death thou shalt die. Death shall be no more. Death thou shalt die. Each week we have this reminder that death will die because Jesus has paid for our sin and he's conquered the grave. We have a resurrection meal every week. It reminds us again and again of the victory that we share in Jesus' resurrection as we talked about with our baptismal vows tonight. The good news is that we have died with Christ and we have been raised with Christ. And so, because of that, we can go out in the power of Jesus' resurrection to bring life into the most broken places in the world, the darkest places in the world. It's our commission to be taken and blessed and broken and given, as others have famously said, for the life of the world. You and I have this commission to be taken, blessed, broken, and given for the life of the world. So as you think about your heritage, whether that's familial or otherwise, and as part of God's salvation story for humanity, take some time this week to, me- to meditate on the joy of the resurrection Where are the places where you've seen God's mercy and his grace at work? And also, where are the places where you still see brokenness? Where you still long to see his grace and mercy? Where are those places where you still see death and you long for Jesus to bring you life from the dead? The good news is that he can. And he has. And and so perhaps tonight you haven't yet trusted in Jesus. You haven't put your trust in him. You haven't rested in the joy of his resurrection. I would invite you to do that for the first time. And if this is your first time doing that, come talk to myself or Father Ryan after the service. Maybe there is a persisting place of death for you that you just realize is a point of shame. Uh, that you desperately need God's life-giving grace to pour out life abundant in that place. I want you to hold that in your mind and heart because we're going to have a chance to confess our sins together and receive God's absolution. Would you give that place to the Lord tonight and see what he'll do with it? Because then we're going to receive the Eucharist together, this resurrection meal, to be strengthened to tread on death. And so, of course, if that's you tonight, the offer is still open for you to talk to Father Ryan or I to pray with you. Don't let death have the last word. Trust Jesus to conquer shame, sin, the past hurt, trauma, and brokenness by the power of his resurrection. It might take time, but he can do it. And as somebody helpfully reminded me this week, remember that the word of life who was crucified on Good Friday had the final word in the darkest of the the darkness of the early hours of Easter morning. The word of life 
who was crucified on Good Friday as the final word in the darkness of the early hours of Easter morning. Let's pray. Oh God, you made this holy night to shine with the glory of the Lord's resurrection. Stir up in your church that spirit of adoption which is given to us in baptism. That we being renewed both in body and in mind may worship you in sincerity and truth through Jesus Christ our Lord who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen.